This is Pain Refrain. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Refrain. Always happy to be here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Tim Flynn. And we are thrilled to have one of our students on the show. Lauren Elliott is a student down at South College where, where Tim and I are both on faculty. I mean, just a wonderful person to connect with. And we're thrilled to, to connect with Lauren about some of her relevant story that, that was a big part of the reason she went into PT school and how she feels about being a provider. And that relates directly to chronic pain. Lauren has an amazing story of an on set of symptoms that that were very challenging to work with through multiple phases of her life, but also has some real actionables on how she got on top of it. And you're going to love to hear where she is now. So, so really look forward to sharing this with you. And without further ado, Lauren Elliott. Lauren Elliott, thank you so much for popping on the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the quick study break. <laughs> awesome. So, Lauren, we, we, we really we understand that you kind of come to this conversation with a with a relevant experience of chronic pain. And on this show, we regularly feature patients who have kind of been through the throes of that and sought out different alternatives and found a way forward. And we would love to share your story today. So if you don't mind, just kind of kick it off and letting the listeners, first of all, know where you currently are, and then we'll jump into some of that history. Yeah, I would love to. So currently, I just started my second quarter at South in the DPT program. Other than that, I am three years on the other side of a chronic pain battle that lasted about five years. So it's been a little while, but I'm finally coming to terms with it and really excited to share my story with you guys today. Awesome. Well, Lauren, we're going to stay out of your way here at the beginning. Kind of take us back. You know, what started all this and and let us know how the, the different process went forward. We'll jump in as needed. Perfect. So there's a lot about my chronic pain story that I don't quite understand. But from what I do understand, that it was a medical problem that turned into this chronic pain problem further down the road. So about nine years ago, I was in a soccer tournament in Denver. I was playing and I fell down on the field. And it was one of those things where I just got up and I kept going. I wasn't in pain. Everything was fine. And we got home and I started having some discomfort in my stomach under my right rib cage. And so I was 15 at the time, just started my sophomore year of high school. And my mom was like, well, we need to get you in the doctor. So I started seeing my primary care specialist. And from there, I just was pushed through a barrage of tests. So I mean, blood work, I saw one or two specialists, I had two HIDA scans, and they eventually determined that my gallbladder wasn't working. And so I had my gallbladder removed. And that's kind of where the like rest of it takes over. So when you first went in, what were sort of some of their hypotheses or what did they explain to you as far as their rationale for why the tests were being done? What was sort of the hypotheses they were going after? Their main things were like, was my appendix ruptured? Was my gallbladder blocked? Was there some kind of laceration? Like, did this soccer fall that I had cause some kind of medical problem, really. So they were really trying to rule out more serious things at this point in time. So I had my gallbladder removed and that pain did not go away. There wasn't a single day where I didn't have that pain following my gallbladder removal surgery. So then we really started getting more aggressive. I started seeing some specialists in Denver and in Fort Collins. We kept seeing some um, practitioners in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is where I'm from. And I was on medication after medication after medication. I was really fortunate that they never went to opioids for me, especially since I was so young. 
But we continued to have tests. I had another HIDA scan to make sure that there was a, an obstruction in my bile duct. I had an MRI. Pretty much anything that they could put me through, I pretty much went through. And then I had a upper and lower GI scope. And then right about that time, I was put on the medication that caused me to have really severe panic attacks on top of my pain to the point where I was not able to go to school for a week because I was hyperventilating the entire time. And prior to having that medication, I had never had trouble with anxiety. Um, I was a really high-performing student. I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders, but I never really expressed it. I never really felt it that way. It was something that drove me. It wasn't something that pulled me down. But after that medication, um, my anxiety really has never been the same, where now I feel that weight of the world on my shoulders and I feel it physically as well. So that was kind of a really big turning point for me was now I had to, I felt this need to perform, I guess. Interesting, Lauren. Do you mind sharing with the listeners what medication you were placed on? This would have been Cymbalta, and I was 15. Wow. You said that this anxiety and panic attacks started with them, and not to fast forward, but you you still, since that medication, it sounds like even being off it, you still have some of those symptoms. Is that correct? Yeah, I've definitely learned how to manage it a lot better, but that anxiety kind of drove the rest of my pain story, I would say, if that kind of packages it up well for you. Something else that was kind of significant that happened about this time was my grandmother passed away of cancer about six months before I started having my pain. I still don't think that those things are connected, but something I do remember happening was my mother and I, we were having a conversation about if we were going to go forward and if we were going to use this medication that they wanted to put me on. And I was young. My parents don't know anything about medicine. So we're just kind of having a conversation of if we should do it and what the side effects were going to be. And my mom just broke down and started crying and said, I don't know what to do. I wish my mother was here to tell me what to do. And that was about that same time as the Cymbalta incident. So at that point in time, I felt the need to kind of start protecting my parents and those around me from my chronic pain struggle. Because I could start seeing its direct impacts on my parents on my younger brother, on my friends. I was having trouble relating to the other kids in my classes. It was just a really interesting time where I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. I felt the need to kind of protect everyone from what I was going through, but I didn't really know how to protect myself from what I was going through. And Lauren, can you talk a bit about the exact symptoms? Were they getting worse as you kind of went through this phase? And what exactly were they? I had this pain right under the angle of my ribs, right under like the 10th rib area, kind of just in this little C pattern. And it just felt like a stabbing sensation. I would typically rate it between like a five and a seven. It was something that was constantly there for me. I let it, I really did let this pain dictate my life where I, I wasn't really active at that point in time. I mean, I played soccer my whole life. I liked running and I just had this mentality that the pain was going to make it worse. So I, I really didn't exercise. I didn't really have any trouble with food or anything like that, but I was put on a lot of different diets to kind of rule those things out. But mostly it was just this pain right under my ribs and occasionally it would kind of radiate around my belly button. 
I'm curious, Lauren, what, what were your thoughts kind of at this point? What did you think it was? So it sounds like you were nervous that physical activity might exacerbate it. Did you have any sort of notions or conceptions of, of what might be going on? I really didn't. I was under this impression that all the tests and all the medications that they were doing were to rule out sinister things, even after my gallbladder had been removed. And we'd gone through that like initial round of tests. I was still in this mentality where there was a cure for it, and it was something very sinister that needed to be dealt with right away. And it was really one of my first few experiences with pain, so I didn't really understand that like there was persistent pain, and there was pain that might not directly relate to tissue damage. I'm so curious how some of the dialogue was. You had gotten a lot of tests and a lot of results. Were the conversations did they lead to some of that escalation and concern that something sinister was going on? Did, did you find that physicians did a pretty good job of, you know, saying, hey, you know, we don't know if something bad is happening. It's why we're doing the test. I, I guess I would love to hear how those clinician-patient interactions might have influenced where you were with your emotions. I don't remember a lot of the, those dialogues, um, honestly. It was a part of my life that I kind of blocked out for a while. So some of those memories aren't very intact. I just remember thinking there has to be I was constantly told there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. So in my mind, that meant there's a medical reason for this. There's a medical thing driving this pain that I have. And it never crossed my mind that there might not be a medical thing for it. I finally got to this point where I went to the pain clinic, Children's Hospital. And I saw this physician and pretty much right away she told me, you have chronic pain. I was 16, and she's like, you have chronic pain, and you're probably going to have it the rest of your life. And what I heard in that moment was not like good news. Like, I didn't hear, look, there's nothing wrong with you. Everything's going to be okay. There's no medical sinister pathology that we're ruling out anymore. You're going to be all right. What I heard basically was a death sentence. You're 16 years old. For the rest of your life, you're going to be in this pain that you view as debilitating, you're always going to be different than your peers. It really was a death sentence to me. Recording this today, Lauren, it's this is the second time this week that I've encountered a gallbladder being removed, which based on history, the symptoms were suggestive of an issue, but that issue being a musculoskeletal dysfunction, if you will, or disorder that's referring pain into the, the region of the gallbladder. It's alarming to me, this story. But I'd also like to say, you know, this this idea of a medical issue, did it get explored? I mean, did your musculoskeletal system get explored? The reason I asked that is because you said, you know, kind of began after a physical activity, physical event, not after eating, not after traditional things we think of as GI right. problems. So I'm just curious how that was investigated. It took a while for us to see a physical therapist, probably eight to 10 months. Um, and I really do think that that was kind of driven by some of those physician dialogues where my parents and I would walk out of the appointment really thinking, there's pathology here. Like, so. Of course, in our minds, we weren't jumping to, let's go to PT. This is a musculoskeletal problem. We were jumping to, this is pathology. We need to see a doctor, a specialist. So it took quite a while for me to start seeing a PT. And when I did, we first did some light myofascial release, some stretching, you know, some preferential movement patterns. 
And then I started seeing someone who pretty much solely did myofascial release. Pretty intensive. I would go to Boulder once a month. I'd get this intense hour plus session and then go home and come back in a month. But it really took even longer than that, probably two years before I really saw someone who did look at my movement patterns. And when I met with that PT, she was like, you have this pretty bad uh, pelvic tilt. I don't know that that's causing your pain, but it's something that you're young, we can work on right now. And so that was kind of where I started with my musculoskeletal problems was, all right, I'll work on this pelvic tilt that I have. I'll try to start standing a little straighter. And those skills that I learned in PT um, really came in handy a few months down the road. I graduated high school and I went to college. And this job opportunity came up where I applied to become a group fitness instructor. A girl with chronic pain for three years decides, Sure, I'll try to teach group fitness classes. I love even it. Though, <laughs> even though I'm not active, I knew that it would help me get ready for PT school, essentially. It's like, well, if I learn how to start teaching movements to people, this is going to help me become a better PT down the road. So I applied for this position. I became a group fitness instructor. And I really found that using what I learned about my pelvic tilt and what I'd learned about my musculoskeletal system... I could start exercising a lot more effectively and a lot more efficiently. And I felt a lot better about my movement patterns. It didn't really affect my pain, but I just felt more confident exercising and moving to the point where I eventually started moving enough that I wasn't scared of moving anymore. It was my job. It was what I did every day. So why should I be scared? And that really kind of started the downward trend for me of getting better So I started moving every day. I started teaching people how to move. I started seeing, you know, some of the people who come to my class just feel more confident in the gym. And that's something that a lot of college-aged girls deal with is not feeling confident in the gym. And so I started seeing this and it was good. And then I also started seeing a counselor. I mean, I'd seen counselors all along the way, but I never really found one that I connected to. And I met this graduate student who was involved in counseling through my undergrad. And we just kind of started working through this idea of perfectionism and this need to achieve and to be a high achiever and to kind of shield everyone else away from the bad things that were happening in my life. And really the pair of those two things together ultimately helped me overcome my pain. Lauren, that is awesome. Can I back up just a second? Because in all these stories, there's a few like key moments where somebody becomes empowered and makes a decision that really gets sort of the cycle going in the other direction, in a good direction. And one of those clearly for you was, I'm going to become a fitness instructor. So I guess what I'm curious about is what led you to that? Was that, where did that fall in relation to the physician who had said that you're going to have chronic pain for the rest of your life? Did that person wind up encouraging you to take on more movement? How did those pieces come together? Yeah. So that physician that told me I had chronic pain, that's literally the only thing I ever remember her saying. We went back and saw this physician multiple times and I I never listened to anything else she said because she had put a death scam on me, you know? So I really didn't really care what she said that much more after that. Every clinician listening, I, I hope I hope that hit him right between the eyes. 
when you were that turned off that literally you never even remember anything else she ever said. If anything speaks to meeting somebody where they are in the language we use and the effect it has on our efficacy, that certainly does. Sorry to interrupt, Lauren, but it's so important, I think, for providers to realize the impact of that. And it's actually something that I've been thinking about, especially as I get ready to be a practitioner myself. It actually came from you two hearing uh, persistent pain versus chronic pain. And even though I don't think the language is really all that different, I think 16-year-old Lauren hearing persistent pain, persistent can end. But I think we think chronic and we think it's never going to end. And so just being really careful about how we choose our language, I think it has a big impact. Yeah, I think that needs to be reiterated again. And I think words beyond even um, uh, persistent, but you hit the nail on the head. Chronic has just a, a, it's just bad language, the more it's said. And persistent may be better, but maybe something even better than that might be currently persistent pain or, you know, at this moment in time, it's there, right? But it's not this is this moment now. So we'll continue to work on that language. And, and you're going to be the, the creator of that, Lauren. I hope so. As you look back now, and again, it's always fascinating, I think, as we look back on our lives and moments and struggles to say, you know, how it shapes us. I often look back at struggles and, and now saying, well, it's made me better at this, at doing the hard work of what we do, working with difficult challenges. You're young, you're just having fun, you're just starting this professional journey. As you look back, at least at this time point, what would you what would you say you've learned or you've you've felt or you you really want to share? There's so many things that I've learned through this journey. In talking with my mom, we kind of went through like a a list of things we wish we would have known uh, because that's always fun. And one thing that I wish I would have had would have been ahead of my healthcare team. Through my journey, there was not one doctor that followed us. It was every time that we walked into a doctor's office and we saw 20 or 30 doctors over the course of five years, every time that we walked into a doctor's office, we were starting from scratch. We didn't have someone giving us advice on like, hey, this medication has a lot of side effects or really looking at, you know, those more difficult sides of my story. It was every time they were like, well, we're the first person to ever see you, blank slate. And so I just felt like there was not very good continuity of care. But then also my parents and I, we weren't in the medical field. We didn't know what we were hearing or what we were learning. And so that was that was pretty difficult. And I wish that I would have had someone. Um, there to kind of advocate for me a little bit more. Uh, we wish that we would have kept a notebook that had all of our visits, all the medications they put me on, all the side effects. I ended up having side effects to most of the medications I was on, uh, just to kind of keep like a better story so that we didn't have to regurgitate it every time we got to the physician's office. But then on like the personal side of things, I really let this pain dictate my life, especially at the end of high school where I loved soccer, but I decided I needed to quit because the playing soccer was definitely going to make my pain worse. And I just, I told myself and I identified myself by the pain that I had. I identified myself by the pain that I had in my college, you know, admittance essays, in the things that I did, in the friendships that I made, like my name is Lauren and I have chronic pain. And I really couldn't find the the difference between those two things for a very long time. 
until I started seeing that counselor in college. And so I was like, wow, I, I'm not my pain. I have pain. It's unfortunate, but it's not my identity that I want to lead. And so that actually became like a really big struggle for me at the end was I've had this pain for five years. I've let it dictate my life. I feel like I'm like kind of ready to move on now. How do I let this part of my identity go? And what is going to be left of me once I do? And that was a really big struggle for me, was really figuring out if I still had an identity outside of my pain once I was pain-free. Lauren, is there any way that you could share maybe one or two of the things that you specifically did with that counselor that was really therapeutic that began to unravel this for you? So we had always been encouraged to pursue cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Um, And I never was able to find a counselor who would do CBT with me. I just think it was kind of new at that point in time. And there were the counselors that I were seeing weren't really versed in that necessarily. So what this counselor and I did is we barely talked about my pain. And I think that really speaks to some of the things that we've been talking about in class where focusing on function and focusing on emotion and focusing on that biopsychosocial uh, effect versus focusing on pain. So, you know, I would tell her like, oh, my pain is worse this week. But after that, we wouldn't really talk about my pain. We would talk about this, the strive for perfection that I had that I did not think I had. It was kind of funny how it all came about. This counselor told me that she thought I had perfectionism induced anxiety in a nicer way than that. And I I remember kind of crying. I remember walking across campus crying. I was like, I'm not a perfectionist. I need to do better. I'm better than that. Um, That's a great line. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm better than that. I love that line. I was just crying. I was so upset. And I called my grandmother. We had been really close at this point in time. And I was like, you'll never guess what I was told today. I was told that I was a perfectionist. And she literally said, I have known that about you your entire life. That was one of those moments where I was like, oh, maybe I have been a perfectionist my entire life. I have always thought, to, you know, it wasn't really something that my parents put on me. It was something that I put on me where I need to have a 4.0. I need to be the leader of my class. I need to have these things in order to view myself as a success. And I had just never put that thought into words because most 17-year-olds don't really. Grandmother steps in there and kind of yeah. calls it like, like she sees it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then we really just started working on that and it was an interesting struggle where, you know, she'd give, my therapist would give me homework and I was like, man, I have to do this homework so good. And my homework was literally do something wrong. This constant like battle, you know, I'm in school, I'm trying to get good grades and trying to get to PT school, but I can't do too good. And just this inner monologue with myself of seeking perfection, trying to battle this pain and just trying to really find myself in the midst of it. Wow. So Lauren, where, where are you now? So having went through all of this, sort of, you know, have you found a way to give yourself a bit of grace? You know, where do you find yourself at this point in time? Yeah. So to answer that, I'm going to take a, a quick backtrack. So after my pain went away, which it was just kind of one day out of the blue, I woke up and I didn't have pain. 
And whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. That was crazy. <laughs> Hold on. I'm sure you thought back on that. So do you really think it was out of the blue or, or was there anything, any variables at all or changes in your life or your mentality or situations that, that may have correlated or do you legitimately think it was, it just vanished? I legitimately think it just vanished. Wow. I had been going to therapy. I had been more active. I wasn't taking any medications. I wasn't on any diets. And there was one morning I woke up and I had like, you do your quick body scan and you're like, wait, I don't hurt. That week, I just kept waiting for it to come back. I was like, this is a fluke, you know, who knows what's happening. And it hasn't come back, so it's not a fluke yet. So once I kind of started recovering from the initial shock of not having pain, I really suppressed a lot of those memories about what it was like to be in chronic pain. Um, Because it was a hard time in my life. I was crying almost every day. It was just difficult emotionally. It was difficult physically. It was difficult with my family and friends. And so I just buried those emotions. And I was like, eh, I'm going to go back to being kind of a perfectionist. I'm going to chase my dreams. I'm going to get to PT school. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And so one of the things that it takes to get to PT school is to do some observation. And so I started observing a good friend and mentor of mine. And that first day, all of our patients were chronic pain patients. And I was like, crap, today is going to suck. This is not something I want to be around. This is, it scares me. It scares me to be around these kind of patients. And so we saw our first patient and the physical therapist was on the fence about telling him if he had chronic pain or not really. And so after this patient left, I talked to her and I was like, it's a hard conversation and talking of approaching it really gently and being like, you know, this pain hasn't gone away. It doesn't look like it has that musculoskeletal base, but we've done all the tests to rule out something more sinister. Now it's time to start exploring that this pain might not be related to tissue damage. It's time to start exploring not being afraid of movement to really move forward with those things. And I was able to, I mean, she'd been with me through my pain journey, but I was able to kind of share some of those tips on how to start working with someone that has chronic pain and how I wish it would have been approached with me instead of you have chronic pain and you're going to have it for the rest of your life. But really to take this more gentle approach and be like, it, it is a hard truth and it has to come out somehow, but having a little more compassion on the back end, maybe than what I was given. And that, that kind of sparked my fire up again. So like, man, I, yes, I felt all these emotions research. Yes, it was a hard day. Yes, I wanted to cry. But I also felt this energy that I had been where these patients had been. I had been in their shoes. I had been in this fear of what are we going to do next? Is there anything left to do? And so it really kind of gave me a, a new outlook on my situation and what I could do with it that it didn't have to be this like baggage that I carried with me that I didn't tell anybody about. It could be this tool that I could use as a future practitioner to really connect with some patients who might have trouble connecting with other practitioners. From there, I shared my chronic pain story at graduation in front of my entire graduating class. Um, Never in a million years would I have thought that I would have done that. And then today I'm just, trying to be more 
real with myself about what has happened in my story, but then also real with others. And as I'm doing that, I'm learning that a lot more people have chronic pain than I previously thought. I'm not an island to myself. My story isn't that unique. There are people that can benefit from my story as well. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Lauren. And it's interesting, you know, if we could go back just for a moment, because it's often jaw dropping. I think when some people hear, you know, I just woke up one morning and the pain went away and, you know, I really, or the pain was not there, I should say. And, you know, you do your body scan, it's it's a different day and it's disturbing, alarming almost. But I think in this podcast, the more we understand about, you know, really the neurobiology of persistent pain and how if we look at it from that perspective and how these the circuitry has really been it's been constantly on and whatever created the environment to allow that circuitry to turn the pain story off if you will those forces coalesced and we could talk about multiple things that may have been but they coalesced and to a curative perspective and i hope that's the message i want to be heard because sometimes and I suffer from the two, we often use the term management, when that to me is almost as debilitating as chronic. We should still be looking for curative types of approaches and that we should be thinking curatively when it comes to managing folks with uh, persistent, currently persistent pain. And so thanks for sharing that because that's another nugget I think that I want everyone to hear. And uh, this has been a lovely conversation. We can continue to go, but I figure you also have a course I'm teaching to study for. So I think we probably should wrap this up. But we know you're in graduate school and you don't have a lot of time, but would you mind, if you want, sharing about you and where people can find you? And if you don't want to be found, that's quite all right as well. So I am found best through email. I have social media, but I'm just not really there with my social media presence yet. So people can best reach me by email at lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N dot two six dot Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T-T at gmail.com. One of the reasons I chose South was just kind of for this, for you guys, really for this pain management, for this new take on pain and to really understand what it takes to be a good practitioner. So I'm really, I'm open to answering questions about school and about my pain story and don't be anything else. Well, thanks so, so much for jumping on, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, guys. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.